This is the Hasidic Story Project with Barack Holman, podcasting from Jerusalem, Israel. This podcast is sponsored by listeners just like you. To become a supporter of this podcast, please go to HasidicStory.com. H-A-S-I-D-I-C Story.com. You'll never know. You'll never know. You'll never know. You'll never know. Shalom Aleichem, my sweetest friends. I'm dedicating this episode to the continued success of our soldiers in battle, wherever they are, the returning of all the captives safe and whole, the refuah shlema of everybody who's been injured, the comforting of the families that lost their loved ones, and the continued unity of the Jewish people, Bezrat Hashem. This week I have two stories for you. The first one takes place back in the old days of the Soviet Union. Now, I realize I have all kinds of listeners of different ages, different backgrounds that listen to the podcast. So when I talk about Jews in the Soviet Union, I just have to clarify that the Soviets, they said that they were atheists, that they didn't believe in God. And if you don't believe in God, then you don't believe in religion. So obviously somebody who's Jewish is a problem for people that don't believe in religion and don't believe in God. Ironically, however, the Soviets did believe in something. They believed in not believing in God which became their own religion, but that's a different story. So one of the goals of the Soviet Union was to quash the Jewish identity. I did an interview on my other podcast, Jewish People and Ideas, with Natan Sharansky, who's one of the most famous prisoners of Zion, Jews that were put in prison for being Jews in the Soviet Union. And he said to me, the worst thing that you could be in the Soviet Union in his day was a Jew. But there were Jews, like the Rebbe Rayats of Chabad, who made it their mission to keep the Jews of the Soviet Union connected to Judaism, literally at the cost of their lives. And so there were many Jews who were not circumcised, because doing a circumcision in the Soviet Union could be a capital offense, meaning that, God forbid, someone could be put to death for performing a circumcision. And so when there was a sudden banging at the door, the two people living in the apartment lost their breath, They looked at one another. They didn't know what to do, so they did nothing. The banging got louder and louder, and Reb Isaac, who was a chassid and the older of the two, told Yankiv, the young orphan boy that was living with him, maybe you should stay here. They might be looking for me, and maybe they won't be looking for you. So I'm going to sneak out the back door, and good luck. Yankiv, who was orphaned, his parents had passed away, and was taken in by the kind Mohel, Reb Isaac. The two of them lived together in this apartment. And so Yankiv opens the door, and standing there is a high-ranking officer in the KGB, which was the secret police that did everything they could to make the Jews' lives miserable. And Yankiv says, what can I do for you, sir? The KGB officer says, is this where the Shochet lives? No, Shochet is a kosher butcher. So the young man said, no, Shochet? No one here by the name of Shochet. But the officer was not happy. He said, I don't know what it's called. The rabbi that cuts children. What's he called? And Yankov said, Sorry, sir, I don't know what you're talking about. But then the officer leaned in and whispered in Yankov's ear. And he said, Don't deny it. I know there's a rabbi that cuts children and lives here. And this time, Yankov took him seriously because the high-ranking KGB officer said these words to him in Yiddish. And the officer continued. He said, I'm a Jew. 
Seven days ago, my wife gave birth to a baby boy, and I want him to be brought into the covenant of Avram Avinu, like I was and my grandfather was. I told my wife, but she said, absolutely not. We're atheists. We don't believe in that cruel practice. Cutting children, how can you do such a thing? The whole time, Yankov is just listening. And the officer said, tomorrow, exactly at nine o'clock in the morning, my wife will leave the house and I will make sure that the baby is there. Please, I want you to come to my house and bring the mohel. The baby will be in one of the front rooms. And then the officer told Yankov his address, turned around and walked away. But just before he left, he said, remember, please, tomorrow is the eighth day of my son's life. And I'm begging you, please, to do me this favor. Rabbi Isaac, he was the only shochet in Mohel, in the entire city, in the entire area. And Yankiv, as I said, was an orphan who lived with him and helped Rabbi Isaac with shechita and doing a bris milah, circumcisions. And they knew that both the jobs were very dangerous. And if they were caught, they would be sent to the gulag, or worse, God forbid. And so after the officer left, Yankiv called Rabbi Isaac and he said, what do you think we should do? Is it a trap? Maybe it's a way to catch us red-handed. The KGB will be waiting for us when we arrive at this house. Rabbi Isaac, he thought about it for a few minutes. What should he do? On the one hand, there might be a Jewish baby whose father is begging Rabbi Isaac to circumcise his son. On the other hand, it could be a trap. So after giving it some thought, Rabbi Isaac says to Yankiv, Tomorrow morning, we're going to go to the officer's house and bring his son into the covenant of Avram Avinu, of Abraham, our father. And the next day, with a bit of a heavy heart, the two of them woke up early, they daven shachrit, and then walked in the direction of the river. On the way, Rabbi Isaac told Yankiv that most likely this is a trap, and this could be our last day on earth. But if that's so, I want us to immerse in the mikvah, in the river, so that at least if we die today, we will die in a state of spiritual purity. And so they went to the river, immersed themselves, got dressed and took their equipment to the officer's house. Now his house was located on the finest street in the entire city. There were no Jews there, that's for sure. And they were certain that this was their end. But they had known many Jews that died, sacrificing their lives for their fellow Jews. And even though they wanted to live, they also wanted to help this man bring his son into the covenant of Avram Avinu. And they knew this might be the whole reason that God created them for this mission right now. And they also knew that Hashem would protect them if it was truly a mitzvah that they were doing. And as they're walking to the house, they see the names of the families on the street. And these are the highest ranking members of the entire KGB. But the two of them had made up their mind. They were going to take the chance and perform the circumcision. Rabbi Isaac and Yankiv, they hid across from the officer's house. And a few minutes after they hid themselves, they see a woman dressed in the latest fashion come out of the building and walk down the street. And together, the two of them went up the stairs and knocked on the massive door of the apartment. An older woman opens the door and tells them to come in. And there in the corner of one of the front rooms is a beautiful crib with a tiny baby sleeping peacefully inside. They walked over to the child and picked him up. And when they did, a small white envelope fell out. They opened up the envelope and inside was a letter from the baby's father, apologizing for not being there at his own son's bris and asking that they give the baby a Jewish name. 
And the rest of the letter was the KGB officer thanking them from the deepest place of his heart for the mitzvah that they were doing with the risk that they were taking, knowing that they could be arrested or killed for this. And without even knowing who this officer was, Zareb Isaac, he looks at Yankiv, and they don't even have to say a word. Reb Isaac quickly picks up the baby. Yankiv acted as the sandak who was holding the baby. He does the preparations, and literally within a few minutes, the circumcision is over. They were about to leave when the old woman who had opened the door for them suddenly appeared and asked them to please stay. The two of them were very concerned. But seconds later, she showed up with a brand new frying pan and handed them a dozen eggs. Now in those days, in that time, a dozen eggs was like a dozen gold coins and a brand new frying pan. They didn't have to worry about kashrut. She invited them into the kitchen and she said, please make for yourselves omelets and eat. And so they obliged. They hadn't eaten eggs in such a long time. They were delicious. And after they finished eating or they were about to leave, the same old woman gave them a huge sack of bread, which was another gift from the KGB officer. Such a quantity of bread was something that the average citizen of the Soviet Union could only imagine. And they were thinking, well, what would happen if we walked down the street with this huge sack of bread? Of course, the police that are standing everywhere are going to stop them and say, where did you steal that bread from? And the old woman, she understood this right away. So she took the bread back and she opened a drawer and ripped out a huge wad of coupons from a booklet and handed it over to them so that they could exchange it for food and bread and for whatever they needed, which in itself was a huge gift and an absolute fortune in those days. They left the house and no one was around. They calmly walked out of the neighborhood and back to their own house. And several months passed and no one ever bothered them. Despite all their concerns, Hashem had protected them. And many months later, Yankiv is walking down the street when the same KGB officer runs into him. And at first, Yankiv was shocked. Anytime he saw a KGB officer, he was shocked. But this was the father of the child. And he said, Comrade, I have to thank you again from the bottom of my heart. But I have one more request of you. Please, whenever you do a bris milah, a circumcision, here in the Soviet Union, please tell my story. Let everyone know that even here in Soviet Russia, there are still Jews that are connected to their souls and want their own children to be Jews. And so every time Reb Isaac and Yankiv performed a circumcision, they would tell the story of the Brit Milah, of the circumcision that they did many, many years before, and tell the story of the KGB officer so that other Jews could be inspired by his act of self-sacrifice. You know, my friends, I asked Natan Sharansky, what was the hardest thing that he had to go through? And he said being in the gulag was actually one of the easiest things that he'd been through. And he said because every day, all he had to do was say no to the KGB. And he said he was doing a mitzvah. The Jews in the Soviet Union, the evil and the darkness was so great that in order to remain a Jew, they had to say no and push back against it. But in America and in some other countries, the Jews are so loved and there's so much light and kindness towards the Jews. In order to remain a Jew, I would say it's much harder, not physically, but mentally. You have to really choose to be a Jew and you have to really choose to connect yourself to Torah and mitzvot in a place where nobody is threatening you and nobody is forcing you to not be a Jew. So I bless you, my sweetest friends, and bless me back. 
that we all choose to be Jews from a place of joy and not from a place of oppression. one more story for you. In 1905, there was a war between Russia and Japan, and all the Russian males below the age of 50 had to be drafted into the army. Many Jews knew that if they were drafted because of the anti-Semitism in the Russian army, they wouldn't be able to keep Shabbat or Kashrut, and they would most likely be put on the front lines. And so they did everything they could to try to avoid being drafted and one of these Jews, his name was Mendel David Gurevich, and he was a teacher, a malamed, in the town of Valich. He was the father of a large family, and the chassid of the Rebbe Rashab, Rabbi Shalom Dovber, who was the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe. So as soon as he got his draft notice, he quickly went to the Rebbe. He told the Rebbe that he was drafted, and he has a big family to support, and all the anti-Semites in the army and can the Rebbe please bless him, that Hashem save him from their hands? And the Rebbe looked at Reb Mendel David, and he said, Bezat Hashem, God Almighty will save you from their hands. But Mendel David felt in his heart the same stress and anxiety that he felt before. And he said, Rebbe, it's not enough for you to bless me. I need a promise. And the Rebbe looked at him intensely and he said, I can't give you a promise, but I can bless you. And I bless you that God Almighty will save you from their hands. Mendel David, he asked again and again, Please, Rebbe, promise me that I'll be saved. And every time the Rebbe said, I can't promise you, but I can bless you. And he blessed him with the same words. So at some point, Mendel David, he realized he had to just leave. He returned back home. He said to himself, A chassid has to have faith in Hashem and faith in the Rebbe's bracha, the Rebbe's blessing. And I have to be besimcha. I have to be joyous. Bezat Hashem. But when Mendel David arrived at the draft board to be drafted into the army, he didn't feel like the Rebbe's bracha was helping him. He saw thousands of new soldiers there with him, and everyone was being passed through a series of medical tests and other examinations. And there was an officer that would decide which soldiers went off to the front line and which stayed back home and had jobs that wouldn't threaten their lives. Everywhere Mendel David went, he asked for an exemption, but it didn't help. Not only that, when he got to the end of the examinations, the officer decided that he was going to be sent to the front line. And now he knew, with all the effort that he made, he wasn't going to get out of the army. The only way out was through the blessing of the Rebbe Rashab. But at this point, now that he was already drafted and in the army, he didn't see how the Rebbe's bracha could come true. And what would happen to his wife and children? And what would be with him? He needed a miracle. So all of the draftees that were brought through the draft board that day were brought for their first military inspection. Everyone was in uniform, and everyone had learned to stand at attention. And there comes a general, Kazarov, and he gives an inspired speech, trying to arouse the troops by telling them the great merit and the great fortune that they had to be able to defend Mother Russia with their own lives. And when he finished speaking, all of the new, fresh recruits were about to go back to their barracks, but the general said, wait, everyone stand here for a few moments. 
He went into his office and came out with a piece of paper. He looks down at the note, and then he looks up at the soldiers, and then he looks again, and he says, Who is Gurevich Mendel? And Mendel David, he started shaking. He thought, what could be worse? I'm going to the front line, and here of all these thousands of soldiers, the general is calling me out. And he steps forward and presents himself to the general, and the general looks at him, and he says, Gurevich, you're dismissed. You've been discharged. You can go home. And then the general turned around on his heels and left, leaving Mendel David so shocked that he couldn't even move. Mendel David didn't understand what was going on. He's free to go? He was released from the army? He said to himself, it's because I believed in the Rebbe. It was because of my faith in the Rebbe. But I never imagined that the Rebbe's bracha could be so powerful to work so quickly and in such a miraculous way. And the next Shabbat, Mendel David sponsored a huge kiddush in the shul, and he's telling all the Hasidim how he asked the Rebbe three times for a promise, and the Rebbe told him three times that he can only give him a bracha, and the exact words that the Rebbe said, that God Almighty will save you from their hands. He said, the Rebbe said it three times, and look at how I was saved. And everyone was listening. You could hear a pin drop. And then one of the Hasidim, he got up and he said, Mendel David, can I share something? He says, yes, of course. He said, you know, the general there, Kazarov, he used to live in our city. And he rented an apartment that was owned by one of the Jews in our community. A few months ago, his landlord passed away and the heirs decided that they were going to raise the rent. Now the general had been living in that apartment for so many years and he didn't want to pay any additional money. So he goes to the heirs and he says, listen, I'll make a deal with you. If you agree not to raise the rent, I will repay you in a way that you Jews will appreciate. We're about to have a huge draft. And if you don't raise my rent, I will release one Jewish soldier from Valich. And the new landlords, they understood what a great mitzvah they were given to save their fellow Jew, even though they had no idea who he would be. And they agreed to not raise the rent in exchange for a Jew from Valich being released from the draft. And the general continued living there, paying the same rent. However, a month ago, he moved out since the war had started and he needed to leave Valich and live closer to the front. In the meantime, he became the chief general in charge of the draft. And apparently, he is a man of his word. He must have gone through the draft list looking for a Jewish-sounding name from Valich. And the first one that he came across was Mendel David Gurevich. And so you get to see, my friends, how Hashem does miracles in a way that still allows us to explain it through nature. And if you understand that Hashem is not allowed to reveal himself in a direct way in this world, because if he did, we wouldn't have free will. And if we didn't have free will, nothing we do in this world would matter. So when I do a mitzvah, and I choose to do a mitzvah, it is worth the value of that mitzvah. And when I do a transgression, it's worth the value of that transgression. And so Hashem had to make the Rebbe Rashab's blessing come about in a natural way, so that those that wanted to believe in the tzaddik and in Hashem could say it was the Rebbe's bracha, and those that didn't would be able to say it was simply a natural occurrence of events. But let me tell you, my sweetest friends, there is no such thing of a natural occurrence of events. Everything that happens in this world, even a tiny blade of grass being moved in the wind, is being done intentionally by HaKadosh Baruch Hu, by Hashem Himself. 
And so when something goes well for you, my friends, you know who to thank. And when something doesn't, you know who to turn to. Thank you so much for listening, my sweetest friend, as always. I want to thank all of the supporters of the podcast and all of the listeners and the people that write to me and share with me. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please keep on sharing. Please keep writing and leaving me messages. And if you'd like to become a contributor of this podcast, and there's all kinds of ways of contributing, you can go to my website, HasidicStory.com, and you'll see a link there that says, Become a Supporter. Any and all support is greatly appreciated. And so are you, my friends. And so, until our stories next week, I hope you have a beautiful Shabbos and a beautiful week. And you merit to serve Hashem with joy all the time. Take care of yourselves, my sweetest friends. Zai gesund.